Okay, Matthew 9. I'm going to read through into chapter 10, but I'm going to completely ignore the chapter division because they're not inspired. And in this case, I think they're uninspired, as in unhelpful. So, uh, so chapter 9 and verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. Oh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. I just want to say that again. <laughs> Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, so these thoughts are connected, okay? He went around healing all the diseases and illnesses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the twelve apostles, and it goes on. I just, I actually want to talk about what moves you today? What matters to you? What matters to me, actually? Mostly I'm going to talk about what matters to me. Uh, hopefully give you some good information about what's going on in my heart. But, so I was reading this passage because he was moved with compassion. He had compassion on them. And, but I just want to highlight a couple of things as we, as, as, as we get into this. This morning, I just feel God all over this. I woke up thinking about it. I've just had a, a crazy, wonderful week, which I'll explain to you as we go through. But he's, he's looking. We've done certain things with this passage which are not in the passage. And we've missed what's in the passage because we've put things into the passage that aren't in the passage. So he looks out. He has compassion. What's he doing? He's, healing all their, he's preaching the good news and healing all their, diseases, all their diseases and illnesses in every town. That's what he's doing. And then he looks out and he sees that there's, there's just this huge need. There's this crowd. There's sheep without a shepherd. Yeah? So he says, pray for laborers, which we then add into that. Pray for people to go and preach the gospel. What he does then is he gets them to pray and then he sends them to do. What does he send them to do? He sends them to do what he was doing. His solution to the, the lack of shepherding was to send out miracle workers. Because what was oppressing the people was not bad jobs or a difficult government situation or even the Romans. What was oppressing the people was the devil. And Jesus was going around doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's the act summary of exactly what's going on here. So Jesus' look at the lack of shepherds is there's no one here getting these people delivered or healed. That's why they're oppressed. That's why they're, they're, they're attacked. That's why they're in such bad shape. So his prayer and then his action is to, is to multiply what he's doing into this situation. So his solution is to raise up laborers to go and do exactly what he was doing. And his compassion is moving him. And somehow we've removed from shepherding the supernatural. 
We thought shepherding is caring for people, which is kind of putting an arm around them, giving them good counsel and good advice. All that is great. Bringing them meals, that is all great. But Jesus' heart of a shepherd here, his fundamental passion that's driving him, this compassion that's coming out of him, is to get people freed from the devil. To get the oppression off them, to break those who are off them the demonization, to break off sickness and disease and suffering, that's Jesus' shepherding model. <laughs> and I just thought, my goodness, I've read that over and over and never seen it that way. But that's actually, if you strip out all that unhelpful break, that's what he says. It's, Come on, they're all suffering because no one's out there healing them like I am and setting them free like I am. So what does he do? He's already had them around him, the disciples. He's been doing the training course. Then he imparts to them. So they go from not doing anything to doing signs and wonders because he just gives them the kind of apostolic green light from heaven and imparts his authority and off they go and they start to replicate what he did. There is a lot of sheep without a shepherd. We need more people who care that it's the devil and want to get rid of him. It says of Jesus that he destroyed the work of the evil one. And this this compassion was driving him. It wasn't just driving him to do, but it was driving him to multiply himself. And that's really what this is about. Is we're seeking to equip a whole band of people to do what Jesus did. Because this is his this is his true nature. This is what burns in his soul is getting people free from suffering and sickness and demonization, which can look like all kinds of things. And we have all kinds of different language for it in our day and age, but ultimately I don't care what we call it as long as we get rid of it in Jesus' name. Oh, it's not water, it's lemon. So this really matters to Jesus. He's, he's moved with compassion. And that, that comes up often in the scriptures that he's, he's, he's moved with compassion. I like, I like looking up some of these words. Some of these words are really, they're really raw. We, we've, we've made compassion, kind of, we've, we've made it, Sanitized. <laughs> I just, I'm going somewhere. This. Just stay with me for a minute while I do some Greek word definitions for you. I know you want to know, really. <laughs> it means he was moved in his inward parts. That sort of conjures up all sorts of unhelpful images for us. But that's what it says. One word study says it's the inward parts, especially the nobler entrails. (laughs) So it's the higher end of your inner system, not the lower end. (laughs) So you moved in your entrails. Jesus was moved in his heart, lungs, liver and kidneys. 
These gradually became known to denote the seat of the affections. He has some... This is not a passionless Christ. This is not a feelingless, functioning person. He's not just doing because he's supposed to do. He is moved from his, the core of his being. His entrails are feeling it. It's that deep. How are your entrails today? And then I was thinking, I was, I, was, I was just doing a little word study on this, and I thought, oh, this, he uses this word a couple of times in Matthew, a couple of times in Mark, a couple of times in Luke, and then it's not in John at all. I'm like, yeah, but he got moved in John as well, in the, in the Gospel of John. What about Lazarus? Do you remember Lazarus? And, and he gets to Lazarus, and Lazarus has been dead in a tomb four days, and, and, and he, meets, he meets his sisters, and, 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 and we read that Jesus wept, so we know something was was going on and the the translators have tidied it up a little bit I think because they say things like he was deeply moved well the the verse is 11 chapter 11 verse 33 if you want to look it up later it says he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled that sounds all nice and neat and tidy doesn't it sounds sounds a bit British but I'm deeply moved (laughs) I'm a little troubled but everything's going to be okay that doesn't mean that this is deeply moved. In fact, what is slightly worrying when you first look at it, the, the deeply moved bit means to snort like an angry horse. This isn't sort of a tame deeply moved. This isn't a kind of nice deeply moved. This is kind of a, a gooey, ooey, smoothie deeply moved. This is an angry deeply moved which you don't kind of get from the translation. Snort like an angry horse, literally to snort or roar with rage. It expresses strong indignation, deep feeling that is moved to sternly admonish. He's just about to sternly admonish some death. And he's not happy about it. That death has taken his buddy. And it is so snorting that he's weeping. And it actually says it twice, just to make it clear. I'm like, yeah. That's some kind of passion going on inside of Jesus. You don't have this view. We shouldn't have this view. He's kind of floating on this cloud of serenity. He's moved. And, and something Jan said in an excellent talk, sermon, preach last week. It's great. Just triggered something in me this week. What's moving us? What's moving me when it comes to seeing people here? What? I kind of knew the answer, but I just went back to God. And then I started reading this stuff. And I've had three times this week when I've just been literally just weeping in my prayer time. Not in a bad way, in a really good way. What do I really care about? What's deeply moving me? What's getting me snorting like a horse? Good to ask yourself the same question. (laughs) 
You can see people do it, can't you? That's what Jesus was doing at the death of his friend. I'm having you, death. And then it says, to add color, it says he was also stirred, which is all stirred up. So he's snorting like a horse and he's deeply stirred. I mean, he is a rage of emotion. What did we do in church? We kind of, for centuries, we kind of stripped it all out. Like, come here, we're quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus, it's like, <clears throat> something's passionate going on inside of him. I like the King James. It says he groaned in spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Although you could then hear that as a, oh. It's not that kind of groan. All right, it's a, kind of groan. Words are fun, aren't they? Yeah. You can mess with you. <laughs> I totally lost my point now. So then someone posts a, a a, a quote from a, a prophet called Graham Cook. Some of you have heard of him. He's actually a Brit, but now lives in uh, California, Southern California. He says, uh, he said this, agony is a clue to what you're called to restore. What, what makes us cry is a guide to what we're empowered to do. What grieves you today do you know you have the power to heal what you grieve over? That's kind of putting in different words what I've just talked about. You have to ask me really nicely. <laughs> agony, <laughs> agony is a, oh, jeez, I'm just going to help get through this. Agony is a clue to what we're called to restore. What makes us cry as a guide to what he empowered us to do? What grieves you today? Do you know you have the power to heal what you grieve over? That's what was going on with Jesus. He was stirred up. He was moved. His entrails were doing things to him. And he knew this is God. How do I know? He only did what he saw the Father doing. How did he know? It's the Father. What's happening inside of you is directly connected to the Father. We talked about this before. Remember that desire, hope fulfilled is a tree of life. Desire, hopes and desires are all linked. And actually, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And that's an access point for heaven reality coming to earth, is your desires being fulfilled. When you're moved in your entrails, that's a really good sign that God is about to move through you. So what matters to me? I've gone round and round. I'm going to do my best job, okay? I'm trying to get out what, what's in here. And I'm going to start at the end, which is what I felt I should do. The, I used to feel, 
I tell you what, I tell you what I, I really am passionate about is Holy Spirit. I have made numerous decisions, small and large, in the way that I've lived my life and led to make sure that there is room for Holy Spirit. That He is not quenched or grieved, but space is given for Him to show up and do whatever He's going to do. That His gifts are released, that He is honored, and that He's not seen as the butler of the Trinity. That's been a theme of my life. I am passionate about Holy Spirit and want to make a space for Him to be Him and not control Him. And if it looks weird, I don't care as long as it's Him. I'm more fussed. I'm so passionate that I'd rather let people get freaked out than have Him put in a box. I'm much more passionate about seeing Him free than you feeling okay. That's the honest truth. And if it's not okay, I'm not changing. And as I was praying about this, I just, I just started to cry. And God started to speak to me. And he said, there's more, you know. He says, you, you're not just passionate about Holy Spirit. You, you, you're passionate about Jesus. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm passionate. God thinks I'm passionate about Jesus. That's a good conversation to have, eh? Huh. I said, what? Of the three persons of the Trinity, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I think Jesus is the one I have actually struggled with the most. Just putting it out there. And I've had ministry and been sozoed and healed up. And some of it is because of he is my brother. Yeah? Jesus is our brother. We're into family trinity, so we have a dad and we have a brother. And if if you have a lot of bad brother experiences in life, sometimes you can end up projecting them on the one you don't want to project them onto. So I needed some brother wounds healed in order to appreciate Jesus as a good brother. Just saying. Now I'm scary passionate about my bro. He is the king. He's resurrected, not defeated. He is high, not low. He ain't on the cross no more. I hate with a passion when we live, think, and display anything other than he won. I really want the world to know that he's alive, that he's risen, and he is not just alive like he was. I mean, this is kind of, I used to think, we've well, got to be like Jesus like he was, yeah, which is amazing. We just read a little bit. He was pretty amazing, but he's even more amazing now because he's seated in heavenly places with all authority. We're supposed to display him like he is now. I want... I really get hacked off when people, the world, us, church, doesn't care, don't, I don't care who, just people don't see him who he really is. And where he really is, it really matters to me. I suffer inwardly. I may not always show it, but I realize, I'm like, 
This really hacks me up. Is, is that okay? He got raised. I don't want to live like he wasn't. I don't want to look like he wasn't. I don't want the planet to think that he wasn't. And then there's this father. My goodness. This is a biggie. He's really good. He not just is good, he does good. I hate, so deeply, disgustingly hate, that we can believe that he actually does bad in the name of being good. I really, it is, it's disgusting that insurance policies have acts of God. And they're all bad things. It's not Heavenly Papa, I know. It's not the Heavenly Father that Jesus came to reveal. He confused everybody. But Jesus fully represented the Father. When Philip said, show us the Father to Jesus, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was the exact representation of God. He was the divine imprint with no shadow, no, no alteration. He was, he, he was precise. He was exact. A long time ago now, but we... Uh, we had a friend, and his, uh, simultaneously, our son got cancer, and his son got cancer on the same day. I was about to ring him up to tell him my son was in hospital with cancer, and he, the phone literally rang, and he told me he was chasing an ambulance into Leeds Infirmary because his son looked like he'd got some serious tumor in his head. He was 13 years old, a lovely young man. And we prayed and nothing happened. It didn't even improve a bit. It just got worse and it ate up his brain and he died. And I stood up with the elders and told them that it was just God's timing. And I really regret that. I deeply regret that. Our son got better. Still alive, doing well. He had a 50-50 chance. This young lad had zero chance in the natural. It was a rare, virulent, fast-growing tumor that killed him age 13. Love Jesus. Beautiful kid. What do you do with a family? I've thought about this for years. This has bugged me for a long time. 
And I regret doing what we did, although what we did seemed good at the time. Because for the family to say, look, well, it's just in God's timing. You know, he's, he has power over death. There's no, it takes any responsibility off of them or us for believing for a different outcome. Which therefore means there's no, in addition to their grief, they're not also being plied with guilt. Are you following? Am I making sense here? So what we do is we blame, we say God took it. But the trouble is then, I've just told the church that God killed a 13-year-old boy and gave him cancer. Either option isn't cool. But we took the one that gave us less responsibility and meant, us, meant that we still believed that God was good, but we had to do some mental gymnastics to figure out how he was good in this situation. The mystery was, how is God good when he kills 13-year-old boys? And you end up with these sort of platitudes like, he moves in mysterious ways. I think that's a load of junk, but that's kind of... The other way is you say, no, this isn't God. This life has been stolen. And somewhere, somehow, we, we... we had a loss. And the mystery we live with is we know he's good and we know he can heal but we don't know why it didn't happen here. Either way you've got to live with a mystery but the first way you've got to distort God. You really are saying God kills 13 year old boys. Somehow in his great and wonderful great plan giving them terminal cancer is God. He thinks it's a good idea. I I don't want to serve a God like that. The other place you can go with the other route, which is it was a loss, which is what I believe it was. Is this isn't true in every case, but often when Jesus rebuked them for having little faith, remember he did that? See, we don't like that. I don't like being told I don't have faith. But Jesus did it, and he did it quite often. And we're like, well, I don't want to get guilty. Well, just no, it's not about getting guilty, it's getting convicted. But where I'm going is he often he rebuked them corporately, either as disciples or a community. So like in his hometown where he couldn't do many miracles. He was surprised at their corporate unbelief. I I believe we have a responsibility as a people of God to create an atmosphere of faith where there are no more cancers killing 13-year-old boys. Because I believe God's good and he doesn't kill children. I believe God's good and he doesn't give you sickness to make you better as a person. I'm really, really tired of people thinking Heavenly Father kills people.
I, I feel that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and Heavenly Father are they're looking for people who will protect their reputation. Is this making sense? Like if I know you, if I'm in relationship with you, and, and we're close, and, and we, we're good friends, and I then go to other people, and I start to say, you know, I'm really good buddies with Tim, and, but, you know, he's such a cheat and a liar. And then I come back, and I smile in your face, and say, Tim, I love you, brother. I think you're amazing. And then I go and see someone else, and I, and, and I, let, I lead them to believe that, you know, that, that, that Tim is prone to a few too many on a Friday night. None of this is true about Tim, all right. Just, but can you see what I'm doing? I'm not protecting his reputation. I'm actually display, I'm not displaying his goodness. I'm, I'm, I'm undermining. I'm, I'm spreading a bad word. And I just feel like part of what, God's asked us to do as a community is spread a good word about the Father. Spread the good word about the Son. Spread the good word about the Holy Spirit. And that it really matters to us. This matters. This really counts. This makes me snort like a horse. It makes my entrails wiggle around. When we get closer to God, what matters to him starts to matter to us. And what matters to us really matters to him. Both are true. This isn't a one-way street. He really cares about what you care about before you care about what he cares about. He really does. He cares about your money. He cares about your relationships. He cares about your health. He cares about your kids. He cares about your house. He cares about the wheels are falling off your car. He cares about all that stuff. And he keeps lavishing his care on us. But one of the things he's trying to do is pull us into a place where we care about what he cares about. The other thing that made me cry this week, we've done such a rubbish job over the years as the Christian community of displaying the love of God. <sighs> the evangelical community at large is really good at bigging up people it approves of and then publicly dismantling them when it finds out there's something in their life they disapprove of. And it's just, it's just celebrity culture in the church. And it really sucks. Both ways it sucks. Because probably people who shouldn't get as much airtime as they get and should have a bit more of a secure place to be get loads of profile. And then a few cracks appear in their life. And then the internet goes nuts and they get shot at. And neither is great. And neither is safe. for the, These are people we're talking about. 
These are God's people. These are God's leaders. How are they going to feel loved? We do it on a big scale. We do it on a small scale. Make a couple of mistakes. Distrust comes in. You can be marginalized forever. You can just become God's forgotten woman, God's forgotten man. Because of the culture of Christianity that needs to change. It was great. It was so good. We're just too good at judging people. We're too good at being prescriptive. It happens all the time. It happens in our marriages. It happens in my marriage. We're telling one another what to do. Because we are, we are Christian and we know the right stuff to do. And we tell one another what to do. Well, this is the holy thing to do. This is the Jesus thing. This is what Jesus should do. And I'm telling you because I know. And we do it to one another and we do it amongst churches. That's why there's so many of us. And then we do it to the world and we tell them what to do. And we think that's Christianity. And we judge them when they're not doing it. And we judge one another. So we get close to one another as friends. I mean, this happens on the big scale. And this one get close to one. I get really close. And then you offend me. And then I pull away from you and I tell other people. That happens to us as leaders. People email us. About people they think we should know about. Disgusting. You hear in my heart today. I'm, I'm not trying to heavy you. I'm just saying this matters to me that we make a culture that is nothing like this. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing like this. It's pull, it's founded on mercy and grace and kindness, and not on judgment and criticism. Let's let's if we're going to get in error, let let's let's really celebrate some people who have totally mucked up, <laughs> rather than be the first to come out and tell the world, well, we already knew that they were lousy. So you know, just wanted to know. I'm going to make my next blog post about how I already knew that this particular movement was on its way out because God told me, but I never told anybody else. See, I don't believe a big church is the answer. In fact, I think a big... Well, let me put this, we need big churches. We need lots of people. But I, the worst horror show on the planet for me would be 2,000 people in Glasgow just, just spewing out harsh, judgmental, superior, condescending stuff on the community around them. That would be absolute nightmare. Showing the world... Because the way that people know about Jesus is they look at us. The sad fact, but the incredible truth is the way that anybody who doesn't know Jesus tries to figure out what God Jesus may look like is they look at the church. And the church is you, if you hadn't noticed, and me. And what happens is this stuff, this sort of judgmental, harsh kind of, we're going to tell you how to do stuff, starts spewing out of us. And they're like, well, you're just... No, thank you.
I'm really passionate about God's glory being seen. See, this all fits. I want, I want you, I want the world to see what he's really like. Yeah. We've got an opportunity to display the goodness, kindness, mercy, power of God, the victory of Christ. Yeah. We get to do this stuff. That's what we've been talking about for five years. Where's it coming from? It's out of somebody's entrails going, enough of this other stuff. <laughs> no more snorting like a horse. Jesus needs to be seen as the winner, as the king. Father needs to be seen as a loving, good, heavenly papa. Holy Spirit needs to be given freedom to do what he can do because if we don't do that, we end up doing his job. You can't change yourself. It's impossible. Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It's a reliance on Holy Spirit life. You can't produce Holy Spirit fruit without the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be more self-controlled. I'm just going to try harder to be someone who tries harder. Where do we get this from? The fruit of the Spirit. That means that there's life of the Spirit flowing in you, so it just kind of starts popping out of you. Hmm. Kind of hang in there and go, boing, oh, look at that. Oh, I need more Holy Spirit. Boing, oh, there's some more fruit. Look at that. Wow. Wow, I'm so self-controlled. Boing, wow, look at that. I've got some, I've got some incredible faithfulness happening in my life. Boing, man, I've got patience bursting out all over me. Oh, faith. Wow, 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 look at this. I'm a big, gigantic fruit, and my juices are going to explode all over the planet. <laughs> I've got to try hard, I've got to try it. Just... That's why we call it soaking. It's not striving, it's abiding. It's not punishing people, it's not judging people, it's loving people, it's releasing the mercy that's in the heart of the Father. It's not telling people, come to Jesus and then he'll kill your children but we'll celebrate because they're going to heaven. It's come to Jesus and we'll heal your children and they'll go to heaven. Come on church. This is about seeing the dead raised, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, cancer no more. I don't want to bury another 13 year old. I want to see one raised from the dead. Jesus ruined every funeral he went to. I looked for what would Jesus, you know the embarrassment, what would Jesus do with a dead teenager? It's in the Bible, I know what he did. He walked up to the coffin, he touched the coffin and the boy stood up. Do you want to be like Jesus, church? Do you want to be like, really want to be like Jesus? We go raise the dead then. Because the Jesus I read, raise the dead. I haven't done it yet, but I'm planning on. Anybody with me? You coming with me? No, let's get rid of this cancer. Cancer, ooh, cancer. Cancer's defeated at the cross and the resurrection. Cancer's like this and Jesus is like this. 
Oh, cancer, got cancer. We've got to get to that place of authority that Jesus gave the disciples just to heal all disease and sickness. To God, they're all like disease and sickness. We have poor metal, cancer. Well, he doesn't go like that. He goes, this matters to me. This really matters. This is why we're doing what we're doing and we'll keep doing what we're doing. Because what he looks like to the world, I'm protecting his reputation. It's what I feel like I'm doing. And he's excited about that. And I know you are too. You're seeking to protect his reputation, to dispense the goodness of God where you are in this world, where you are in this city, so that people just go, wow, you love Jesus. I didn't think he was like this. That's amazing. You treat people amazing. You, like, Teresa got the reputation in her workplace. You've got healing hands. Because you pray for people. Changing atmospheres. Seeing their sick healed. In the pub. That's what Jesus would do. Because that's what Jesus did. got to matter and where it doesn't matter just just like me just go through the journey get fixed get fixed on the inside ask holy spirit to re-engineer your innards get your entrails sorted out uh, let, let, can we stand I don't know what to do. You, you make it up. <laughs> Just respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing with you and to you right now. <clears throat> God, you're beautiful. Father, you're amazing. You're rich in kindness and love. And I hate what we've done to you. I really hate what we've done to you. Holy Spirit, you're amazing. You're full of life and power and I hate that we've tried to control you and box you in and ignore you and disliked what you did. And just want to welcome you in my heart again. I want to welcome you to be you. Just do, just do the stuff only you can do in the way only you can do that. And Jesus, you are the King. You are the Lord. You are. The resurrected one you are. <laughs> you're, you're just outrageous. Just <laughs> and uh, I just want so bad that 
everybody sees that's who you are and where you are. And I pray for us as a church right now that we would get really good at protecting our relationship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They would get really good at displaying your goodness, really good at displaying your kindness, really good at displaying your glory, really good at displaying your, uh, your authority and power over sickness. We get really good at seeing cancer healed and blind eyes opening and metal disappearing out of bodies and ears opening. And We thank you for all we've seen, but we just know it's got to matter to us that we're not all the way there. And we're just saying today it matters, God. It matters that we want to be more like you. It matters to us that, that you're seen to be who you truly, truly are. It matters, God. We, we, we're aligning our passions with your passions. This morning, we just, we just declare that 